Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. What are we saved by? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of... It is what? It is the gift of God. That's Ephesians 2, verse 8. My sermon title today, Your 5G Plan, God's Given Great Gift of Grace. Let's bow our heads for another prayer. Father, as we come into your presence to open your word, I pray that you will inspire us, I pray that you will motivate us, and I pray, Lord, that you will give us hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're talking about a topic that's touching every life on planet Earth. And I pray, Lord, that we will lift this worship service with hope and faith in what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. G wireless technology is widely believed to be smarter, faster, and more efficient than 4G with speeds up to 100 gigabytes per second, 5G is set to be as much as 100 times faster than 4G. However, believing other things about 4G, uh, 5G. Our son AJ took this picture this, uh, this week here in Kentucky. Some people believe that 5G, the fifth-generation wireless technology, 5G wavelengths kill bees. Well, others believe that coronavirus was initiated, was started, so that 5G uh, uh, can, can take over the world. And, well, you know, it's, it's understandable to believe so, considering the fact that 5G comes mainly from China, just as coronavirus. There is a whole variety of theories with great concerns about the 5G technology. 5G is invisible to the human eye, but they say, some people say, that it will affect our physical health. Many theories, many scientists, it's hard to know who to believe. What if I told you that there is another 5G, also invisible to the human eye, it is invisible to the human secular eye. It is a 5G you want to have. What if I told you today that you don't want to miss it because it's really good for you, certainly for your soul. Let me introduce you today to the spiritual 5G that is good for your soul. 
you can only find it in one place, and that is in the Bible. This 5G is God's given great gift of grace. You know, we all know it. Most popular Christian song in U.S. and in the world, I would say. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Right? Amazing grace. What is grace? I want to raise this question. And I want to invite you to think about it. And can you tell me what grace is? I've got my YouTube app going. So I invite you all, if you're watching, I know you're about 20 seconds behind, type your answer to tell me an answer to this question in the comment section. What is grace? You can say, you can type one word, two words, a definition, a Bible verse, anything. Tell me, what do you think grace is? And I will, I, will, I will read this to the entire congregation. Let's see if anything comes in. I know we have to wait about 20 seconds or so and give people some time to type. What is grace? How do you define grace? In your Christian experience, what is grace for you? Can you type one word, two words, definition, Bible verse, anything? Let's see if anything comes in. Unlimited mercy. Thank you. Unlimited mercy, someone says. Somebody says, God's amazing gift. Amen to that, brother. God's love and mercy. Amen to that. What is grace? Grace is about second chances and love. Amen. You know what? You're a great resource. Next time I'm going to use you for my sermon. You cover the entire sermon. Well, that's great. What is grace? Let's go to dictionaries a little bit. In uh, Oxford Dictionary, there are six definitions of amazing grace, of God's grace. And the first couple doesn't have anything to do with Christianity or spirituality, but the third one, and I put it on the screen, in Christian belief, Oxford said, it is the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessing. Power, somebody said. Unconditional forgiveness and mercy. Wow, answers keep coming in. Praise the Lord. Dictionary.com defines grace as the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. The influence or spirit of God operating in humans to regenerate or strengthen them. The condition of being in God's favor or one of the elect. <clears throat> Something we don't deserve, somebody said. Unconditional forgiveness and mercy. But God loves us enough to give us the gift of grace. Amen. See? Now, the most, well, I should say, not the most famous, but uh, the most popular, I would say, source on the Internet of everything you want to know and you don't want to know, the English Wikipedia has a good definition. 
Grace is a gift from Heavenly Father given through His Son, Jesus Christ. The word grace, as used in the Scriptures, refers primarily to enabling power and spiritual healing offered through the mercy and love of Jesus Christ. No one can return to the presence of God without divine grace. That's how you find it in Wikipedia. Now, have you experienced grace? Or should I say, do you need grace in your life? Is it necessary for us? Ellen White says um, in uh, Acts of the Apostles, page 55, she says, those only who are constantly receiving fresh supplies of grace will have power proportionate to their daily need and their daily ability to use that power. Wow, that's powerful. We need grace for our daily living. So what is this spiritual 5G? It is God's given, it is given, we can't do anything to get it because it's God's given great gift, it is a gift, somebody mentioned that, of grace. I want to present you this morning with a few cases, a few 5G stories, I would say, and each case, each story has four parts, the facts, the expectations, unexpected gift, and the reaction of the recipient to that unexpected gift of grace. And you can identify yourself and you're with your story and your life story that matches your life story. In other words, look for the story you can relate to. And then I want to invite you to experience grace, if you've never done it before, to experience it for yourself this morning. I know sometimes it's easier said than done. I pray and hope this morning you will see it, you will hear it, and you will experience. You will have the chance to experience God's grace. Case number one is the Billy Graham 5G story. It is what I would call the traffic violation story. When Billy Graham was driving through a small town in the south. He was stopped by a policeman, and he was charged with speeding. Pastor Graham admitted his guilt, but was told by the officer that he would have to appear in court. And the judge, the judge asked, guilty or not guilty? When Pastor Graham pleaded guilty, the judge replied, that will be $10, a dollar for every mile you went over the speed limit. But suddenly, the judge realizes and recognized the famous preacher. And he said, sir, you have violated the law. That's, the fine must be paid, but I'm going to pay it for you. And he put he pulled $10 bill, a $10 bill from his wallet, attached it to the ticket. And then 
after the court was over, he took Billy Graham for dinner, and he paid for his dinner. After the dinner, Billy Graham said, that is how God treats repentant sinners. That is grace. And I know it happened to me too. I was in college coming back from Nashville one evening, and I knew I was driving a bit over speed limit as I came close to Chattanooga. And man, right there, right before Wildwood, I saw the Christmas lights behind my car, and uh, I knew I'm in trouble. I got pulled over. The policeman asked me, sir, do you know why I pulled you over? <clears throat> I guess I was probably speeding. That night it happened, I was listening to the Steps to Christ book on tape, and I knew I was rushing. I had no idea how fast I was going. The cop told me I was driving about eight or nine miles over the limit. <clears throat> I told him what I was listening to. I actually had a hard copy of Steps to Christ with me. I always carried them, and I, I, offered, I offered it to him, and obviously he refused it. He went to his car, came back with my driver license, and said, Sir, drive safely. No ticket, not even a warning, no nothing but grace. I was overwhelmed with emotions. On one hand, I knew I was guilty. I should have faced the cost of speeding ticket. On the other hand, I knew I was forgiven and I could, I could not believe it. I was offered an unexpected gift of grace. Now, the outcome, how fast do you think I was driving after that? Well, I tell you, I was really paying attention to those rectangular speed limit signs. Driving 70 on 70, 65 on 65, 55 on 55, even 35 on 35. Some people may have gotten frustrated behind me following 35 speed limit, but I couldn't drive one mile over the speed limit. Why? Because I really love the speed limit law? Not exactly. I was obeying the law because I was responding to the grace that I had just experienced. God's given great gift of grace. Case number two, turn with me to the gospel of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. I think this story happened on a Sabbath afternoon or right after church. Jesus, as his habit was, he would go to connect with his father and he went on the Mount of Olives to connect with his father in prayer. And from there, he went straight to church. And the Bible record says in John chapter 8, verse 2, Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, verse 4, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, 
in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they may have something of which to accuse him. Now, if I were a young rabbi, one that was looking to get his popularity ratings high, I would have said, guys, step a little further. See these stones right here, this pile of stones? Get one stone, and when I say one, two, three, throw at her. But this was not your everyday or young rabbi. He was, he was none other than Jesus. And Jesus is the Son of God. He was God in human form. He was one with the Father. He said, he testified of himself, he who has seen me have seen the Father. So if he, if Jesus is God, now we have a chance to see what God does when someone violates his law. So what would God do when someone violates his law? The Bible says in verse 6, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Let's stop for a moment here. Doesn't it seem strange that only one person involved in adultery act was brought to Jesus? And that's only the woman? Where is the man? Well, that was a male-dominated society. He was probably somewhere around waiting to see the outcome. But Jesus stooped down, John writes, probably in the near proximity of the woman who was crying, being afraid to even raise her head up. He seems to write a list of transgressions of the law. He, he seems to be writing sins on the ground, and once in a while he, he, he raise his head and look around at the crowd of men, and his divine glance penetrates the minds and hearts of those accusers. And, and I, can, I can only imagine how one looks on the ground or to the ground at what Jesus wrote and goes, Wow, I've done this last week. I wonder who else knows about it. And he leaves. Then another looks at the ground and, 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 and says to himself, Wow, I've done this last night. I wonder if anyone else besides Jesus saw me, and he lives too. And one by one, not knowing why the other fellow lived before them, one by one looks at the ground and sees his own sins listed on the ground and leaves. All of them. Verse 10, when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman... He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. 
go, sin no more. That, my friend, is your spiritual 5G. It is God's given great gift of grace. Now, how do you suppose that woman lived her life from now on? Doing what she's been doing? Not really. We find her later spending an entire year's wages on an anointment, on kind of a perfume anointment that she uses to anoint Jesus' feet. And yes, in that Sunday of the resurrection morning, in that morning of the resurrection, she's the first one at the tomb. Her life was changed forever as a result of God's given great gift of grace. Case number three, I would say. Saul of Tarsus. You know it. You've heard about it. His case, his story is found in the book of Acts. And it's fairly depicted in chapter 12 of the book with the same name, Acts of the Apostles by Ellen White. And I'm going to quote, read some of her uh, descriptions of this story here. She says, in describing Saul of Tarsus, she said this, Prominent among the Jewish leaders who became thoroughly aroused by the success attending the proclamation of the gospel was Saul of Tarsus, a Roman citizen by birth. He was favored to be a Roman citizen. Saul was nevertheless a Jew by descent and had been educated in Jerusalem by the most eminent of the rabbis. He attended the best seminary of her time. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Saul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As far as the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. And he was regarded by the rabbis as a young man of great promise. They put a lot of stock into his life. They put a lot of hopes. High hopes were cherished concerning him as an able and zealous defender of the ancient faith. And when he became member of the Sanhedrin council, that placed him in a position of power. And then... Still being young, one day there is a special trial that takes place. The trial of Stephen. He was not sure what to believe because they, there was not enough evidence to convict Stephen. But the arguments of the priests and rulers finally convinced him that Stephen was a blasphemer. And that the Christ whom Stephen was preaching about must be an imposter, and that those ministering in the holy office must be right. And at the end of his, and in the end, his education and his prejudices and his pride of popularity braced him to rebel against the voice of conscience and the grace of God. And having fully decided that the priests and the scribes were right, Paul became very bitter in the opposition to the doctrines taught by the disciples of Jesus. 
His activity was causing holy men and women to be dragged before tribunals. Sometimes they were condemned to imprisonment. Sometimes they were condemned to even death. Just because they believed in Jesus. It brought a lot of sadness to the early church. The priests and the rulers had hoped that by vigilant effort and harsh persecution, this heresy of the followers of Jesus might be suppressed. And now they wanted to carry their decision, their attitude towards Christianity in Jerusalem. They wanted to take it farther. And there was a city, Damascus. And Saul, in his zeal, offered his services as Alco, I'll take care of him. And he went to the high priest and desired of him letters to the Damascus, to all the synagogues there, that if he found any of this way, that is, those who believe in Jesus, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So, with authority and commission from the chief priests, Saul of Tarsus, in the strength and vigor of his young adulthood, and fired with a mistaken zeal, he set out on that memorable journey to Damascus. And on his way to Damascus, the Bible says in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 3, Acts 9 verse 3 says, As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Verse 6, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, that's grace. And you may say, Pastor Marius, how come? What was Paul doing? Well, he was actually fighting directly against God and his people. What did he deserve? Well, God could have easily struck him dead. What did he receive instead? Saul of Tarsus received a second chance. And Saul of Tarsus will become an apostle of God to Gentiles and Hebrews as well. He will become an apostle of grace himself. As a matter of fact, if you would do a word study on the word grace, you will find that the word Grace is primarily used by the Apostle Paul because he has experienced grace and was now anxious to share that in his writings 
to his fellow believers. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, But for the grace of God, I am what I am. Jesus said, To whom it is little forgiven, the same loves little. By contrast definition, to whom much is forgiven, the same loves much. God's given great gift of grace. Then we have case number four. The story of a running prophet. Jonah. All right, it's on. Jonah is already the prophet of God. He is fully aware of his calling compared to Saul of Tarsus. However, he served God as long as it matched his expectations and preferences. When God acts as God, Jonah refuses to do, refuses to follow. Instead, he chooses to go the opposite direction. And when he goes the opposite direction, he's not only endangering those whom God called him to save, but those whom he was traveling with. Even though they were unaware of his spiritual condition, they realized that something was off. Something is wrong with this man. So those people in the boat with Jonah prayed like this. We pray, O Lord... Please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea. Then the man feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, I want to say that the Lord has a sense of humor here, but, you know, first, <laughs> this is the reason, first, he uses Jonah's rebellion to gain souls. Well, that's not the evangelism I recommend. Second, God is not done with Jonah. Not yet. But Jonah does not have a clue. All he expects is to sink and die. But grace comes in a form of a big fish. Now the Lord has prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah 1 verse 17. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord with much faith that the Lord will rescue him. And indeed, the Lord spoke to the fish. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah 2 verse 10. Now, if that's not grace, what else is there? Jonah was given a second chance. And when God called him the second time, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and preach to it the message that I tell you. What did Jonah do? Did he run away again? 
No. Jonah 2 verse 3 says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Now, what case of grace can you relate to? Honestly, for me, I can relate to Jonah. I had tried to run away from God physically and spiritually, but God in His grace never left me. He kept on coming after me. He never ceased to pursue me with His love. So I can honestly say with Paul, but for the grace of God, I am what I am. As we close our service today, I want you to listen to these people as they share their experience with 5G, God's given great gift of grace. And if you can relate, accept God's grace in your life today. Mm -hmm.